Well, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, we're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. And in this book, of course, Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. He's the Savior. He's the Christ. Why did Jesus Christ come into this world? Well, He came to die for us. He came to give His life to us to be the sacrifice and the substitute for the sins of the world. He, in fact, He is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. He is the one who died and rose again, paying for sin, conquering death, and giving eternal life to all who believe. Now, we've been seeing that Jesus is on His way to Jerusalem. And, and he, you know, we're going to see that He's going to fulfill His plan as our Savior. And as He gets closer and closer to His death, the opposition from these religious leaders seems to get greater and greater. In fact, in our section this morning, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. We actually won't see all of those. We're going to highlight about the first 8 or 9 and then 10. We're going to just mention it. And then we'll put some, some things together for next week. But Jesus warns His disciples to stand for Christ. Christ in the midst of the opposition of these religious leaders. He wants believers to stand for Christ, and that's what he wants for us. He wants us to stand for Jesus Christ in a fallen world. And as we see this passage, there are a number of things we're going to look at. First of all, there's the contrast we saw last week, but we'll see it this time, the contrast between religion and true Christianity. We saw it last week. We'll see it again this week. We're going to see the hypocrisy of religious leaders. And that's, of course, they're pretending to be something they're not. And then we're going to see uh, two things. One is what does it mean to confess him before men? That's a little passage. And then we're going to see this whole idea of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Just going to touch on it this morning. We'll really get the details on it next week. Our goal, of course, is to know and understand God's Word so that we can make application in our lives. Let me begin with... Uh, they did a little survey. Here's some questions. Why do people go to church? That's the question they ask people. Why do you go to church? Some said they go because they're friends. Some said they go because of the music. Some said the fellowship. Some even said Bible teaching. Some said that you go because you're supposed to go. And then uh, some actually said because we go to worship the Savior. A second question was asked. Why don't you go to church? And these were people who said they didn't. Some said, well, we don't believe in God. Some said, it's boring. Some said, we don't need it. And then others said, it doesn't meet our needs. And then last but not least, one that we've heard many times in your life, they said, we don't go because all of the hypocrites. What is a hypocrite? Well, it's from the Greek word which means to be under a mask. It's a person who plays a part. A hypocrite is someone who pretends to be something that they're not. They might pretend to be holy, but they're not. As we look at our passage this morning, Jesus calls the religious leaders hypocrites. They were wanting people to think that they were holy and that they were better than others, but in truth they were not. In fact, they rejected Jesus Christ as Savior. What does Jesus say about these religious leaders? Well, they not only rejected him, but they're in opposition to him, and they want to kill him. We're going to see some powerful truths as we go through this. You know, the Bible is so great. And for some of you, maybe this is your first time to come to Countryside. We teach the Bible verse by verse, passage by passage. It's called expository teaching. We feel like the best way to do is go through the Bible, teach the Word, get it in its context so you can understand it and make application. We've been seeing Jesus, and we started the Gospel of Luke a good while ago, and as you go through it verse by verse, we're seeing His ministry. And what we've been doing is we've seen that Jesus has been in the northern part of Israel around the Sea of Galilee doing His ministry. That's come to an end, and now there was a turning point two or three weeks ago in our study. We saw that he's on the way to Jerusalem. 
And the plan is to go to Jerusalem to die on the cross to pay for our sins. That's the plan. But I want you to think about Jesus Christ and coming to earth. Why did he come? And I want you to remember that there are two comings of Christ to the earth. Let me clarify that. Two comings of Jesus Christ to the earth. The first coming, he came. He was born in Bethlehem. He left the glories of heaven, became a human being, was born in Bethlehem, lived on the earth about 30, 33, 34 years, and he came to be the Savior, to die on the cross and pay for sins. There is a second time that he's coming to this earth, and he's coming to the city of Jerusalem. He's coming to the Mount of Olives. He's coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do not confuse either one of these two comings with what's often known or often called the rapture. The rapture is not a coming to the earth. It is a coming in the clouds. Jesus comes in the clouds, and the church, the body of Christ, is taken off the face of the earth. That's not the first coming or the second coming. That actually happens in between. First coming, he came to die. We're studying the Gospel of Luke. We are seeing Jesus in the Gospel of Luke as the one who has come to go to the cross to die for us. He will come a second time. It's found in Revelation 19, verse 11. He comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords to Jerusalem. So that's the two things. Now, as he gets closer to Jerusalem, the religious leaders hate him. They want him dead. Why? Because he declares that he is the Savior. He has healed the sick. He has raised the dead. He has forgiven sins. He indeed is the Messiah and the Savior. He has done all the signs, and they reject him. They hate him because they don't want their positions taken away. They realize that if he is actually the Messiah, they will lose their positions of authority because they're the religious leaders. Now, what we saw, we saw it last week, and I want to remind you this week, there's this contrast between religion and Christianity. Because sometimes people say, oh, are you religious? What religion are you? That's what they want to ask. And I want you to understand there is really a difference between religion and Christianity. Religion is man trying to please God. It is a person trying to do something to get to God, whether it's through his works, his law, his rules, all of those things, where Christianity is God pleasing God. It is God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, religion is works. Man trying to do something to get to God. You can never do it. True Christianity is what God has done by sending His Son Jesus to die for us, pay for our sins, and He offers us the gift of eternal life. So I want you to remember that, and we'll see it as we continue to go through. As we look at this chapter, as always, we look at this little section. Chapter 12 is long. In fact, what we found, and if you've looked at it, all of the chapters in the Gospel of Luke are long. And so as we study through this, there's a lot there. Let me give you... the. the outline for chapter 12. This is the one we're in. It's going to take us several weeks to go through it. First of all, in the verses this morning, we're going to see Jesus teaching about standing for Christ against these religious leaders. That's what he tells his men. We'll see that. We'll see most of that, and we'll take some of it and bring it in with next week's, because we're going to talk about dealing with possessions next week. He talks about that. Talks about, it gives a parable about this man that is so rich, he has all this land, it keeps producing so much, he's got so much he doesn't even know what to do with it, all of it. And he says, I don't know what I'm going to do with all this. I may have to tear down my bar and build bigger ones. And we'll see what happens in that. The third thing we'll see is seeking the kingdom. And that's a very famous passage where he says, you know, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What are these things? And we'll look at that as we go through it. The fourth thing as we go through the chapter, we'll be looking for his coming. And in this passage, he's really talking about the second coming. We can make application as we go through that passage about looking for the return of Christ either in the clouds for us or in the second coming in which he comes as the king. And then finally... The last part of this chapter is pretty hard because it talks about Jesus brings division. 
And it is truth that when the message of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, there will be people who believe and people who want. And there's division there. And so we'll see it. This morning, we're going to look at the first section, standing for Christ against these religious leaders. Now, there's a lot of material here, and we can do two things. We can either go very quickly and just touch the surface of these things, or we can go a little bit slower and get details. I've decided I think it's best to slow down just a little bit and get some details. So I want you to see this as we go through. Let me give you the 12 verses that we're going to deal with this morning. And Verses 1, 2, and 3, he deals with hypocrisy. And that's powerful because there are hypocrites, and we'll talk about what it is. Then he says in verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, fear God, not men. And we'll, not man. And we'll talk about that. Why were they, who were they afraid of, and who should we be afraid of? And then the last section all goes together. We won't see all of it this morning. He says, stand for Christ, and we're going to spend some time on what does it mean to confess Christ before men. We'll see how that fits together. We'll also just mention the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit so you can get an idea of what that is, and then we'll come back next week and really get that and verses 11 and 12 where we see the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let's begin and let's deal with this whole thing of hypocrisy. Jesus, I want you to understand that Jesus has just confronted these religious leaders. He just called them uh, he, he just told them that they were prideful and that they went on tradition and they uh, they put burdens on people that nobody could handle and all of these kind of things. And so he's just confronted them and they are very angry at him. I want you to notice how chapter 12, verse 1 begins. Notice it says, Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he begins saying to his disciples, First of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, notice how the verse starts. It says, Under these circumstances. And the question is, what circumstances? What are we talking about? Well, the religious leaders are mad. They're coming after him. Look back at chapter 11, verses 53 and 54. This is where we ended last week. Look what it says. When he left there, he had just confronted them. He had just told them that they were prideful and that they went after tradition and rules and everything else. When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees, that's two different religious groups, began to be very hostile. That word means angry. It means really upset. And to question him closely on many subjects. Why? They were plotting against him to catch him in something that he might say. They were so angry at how he made them look so bad. And, and it was their fault because they were bad. He just told the truth. And so he told them this, and they got real mad. And so they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to ask him questions. We're going to try to trip him up, and maybe we can make him look bad. Because what they really wanted to do was discredit Jesus in some way. Now, the truth is, they can't do it, because he's God. You can't trip him up. He knows everything. Everything he says is right. Everything he says is perfect, because he is the living Word of God. And so, whatever he said is right. So they, they'll never get him. They'll never trip him up. But that's what they want to do. So notice, verse chapter 12, verse 1. Under these circumstances, religious leaders coming after him, after so many thousands of people had gathered together, they were stepping on one another. Now, they've come to hear Jesus. And you know that when Jesus would go places, crowds would follow him. Some people believed in him as the Savior. There were many who said, if you hang around long enough, he'll feed you. If you hang around long enough, somebody will get healed. You'll see him do a miracle. And so a lot of times there were people who followed Jesus just to see what he was going to do. Well, in this passage, it says there were many Thousands of people. I mean, we're talking about probably the biggest crowd up to this time. Because we saw that he, he fed 
5,000 men at one time, and we said that there may have been 15,000 people because that wasn't counting the women or the children. But in this passage, it says, when many thousands, the Greek word myriad means bunches, many, many thousands of people gathered together, they were stepping on one another. He says they were trying to get to Jesus. They all wanted to hear what he had to say. They all wanted to see him. And, and they're just people stepping all over each other. He began to teach. And he's first going to teach his disciples. And then he's going to teach the crowd. He says he began saying to his disciples, first of all. And the way that's written in the Greek, it means here's the first people he talks to. And then later on in verse 4, he's going to talk to his friends. And I think that's some of the crowd. And watch what he says. He says he first of all began to say to his disciples, Beware, he's warning them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, the word leaven, we all know what that is, but that, that was, you know, it, it, it meant something. Their idea was something that might start small and then get bigger. We're going to see that almost every time the word leaven is used, it's negative. There's going to be a place over in chapter 13 of Luke in which he uses leaven in a positive way. Most of the time it's negative. And the idea here is the leaven of the Pharisees, which is their teaching, their attitude, the, the way they lived, the, what they wanted to do. He says, beware, watch out for the leaven, their attitude, the way they live, the way they think. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees, and then he describes it, which is hypocrisy. Now, hypocrisy means, it's a Greek word, it means to be under the mask. It was the word used for an actor. When in that day and time a person was going to act, they would take a mask and put above them. It might be a happy mask, it might be a sad mask. And so they were pretending to pay, play, play a part. So they had the mask. And so to be a hypocrite, to be an actor, was to be under the mask. He calls them that. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. They are pretending to be something else. See, the religious leaders wanted to look good. They wanted the people to think they were holy and better than other people. They were the leaders. They were the pretenders. You know that they wore these special robes. We're going to see it later on when Jesus talks about them. They had these special robes, and as they would walk down the streets, they would want people to move out of the way and say, oh, here comes this great leader. When they would go in the synagogues, they wanted the best seats. They wanted people to greet them. See, they wanted to be better than everybody else. They acted like they were better than everybody else. And as a whole, most people thought they were. Because they had all these rules and all these laws. Not from the Bible, but the things they had made up. Jesus made a statement one time before a crowd. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. He basically told the crowd, you have to be better than these people or you won't go to heaven. Of course, the truth is, you have to be perfect to go to heaven. The only way you can have that kind of righteousness is by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he later went on to teach. But anyway, the normal person would think these guys are really holy people. So he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. They wanted to look good. They wanted people to think they were fine. The truth is they were sinful. They had rejected Jesus Christ. They had overlooked the truths from God's word, and they were living their lives based on man-made traditions, not the Bible. They looked good on the outside. They were sinful on the inside. There's another place in the Scripture where Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. Let me explain something to you. In that day and time, you know, a Jewish person, if you happen to step on anything where there's a dead body, like a tomb, you were unclean and you couldn't go to the temple. You couldn't do anything. So where people were buried, they made sure they covered them over with white paint, whitewash, so that if you were walking along, you'd see it and you'd go, oh, I'm not going to step on that. 
Jesus said, that's what the religious leaders are like. They look good on the outside. They're painted looking good. But inside, they're full of death. Because that's what they were like. So Jesus said, you look good on the outside, but you're bad on the inside. He said, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. It's hypocrisy. See, hypocrisy is pretending to be something you're not. This is what religion does. Religion deals with the outside. Religion is trying to be good, trying to do something to please God by our actions. Christianity deals with the inside. We're changed by God from death to life. By faith, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? A new creation. We're changed from the inside out. We become a child of God. We have eternal life. Religion is pretending. Religion pretends to be right with God because they think they are, but they're not. He says, beware of religious leaders. By the way, there's a lot of religion. There are people that you come in contact with every day that look good. And if you were to say to them, and they go to church. Some of them go to church every Sunday. And if you were to say to them, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? You know what they'd say? I'm pretty sure I am. And you say to them, why? And they say something like this. Because I've tried to live a good life. I've tried to keep the Ten Commandments. I've tried to do what's right. That's religion. That's not relationship. That person doesn't have eternal life. That person is religious and looks good, but does not have eternal life because eternal life comes by faith in Christ, not our works, not our goodness. The world is full of religion. Religion only affects the outside. Christianity affects the inside. So here's the question for us in this room. Are you religious? Or do you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Are you trying to deal with the outside and looking good and trying to say, okay, I'm going to try to do these right things and I'll be okay? Listen, you're only fooling yourself and you may be fooling others. The only way you can be right with God is by faith in Jesus Christ who gives you His righteousness. Now, Jesus said, be careful, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, this hypocrisy. He goes on to say that one day it will be known that these people, these people aren't really righteous. Notice what he goes on to say. There is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be made known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. What he's saying is one of these days it will be seen that these religious people aren't holy. See, is it religion or relationship? Is it outside or inside? Is it works or faith? He says, one day it will be made known. That's why he says, nothing covered up that will not be revealed. Because see, the religious people, they covered up the fact that they were sinful and they were fallen and that they were using works and laws to try to get to God. He says, what has been whispered in the dark, what has been said in the dark will be heard in the light. What you've whispered in the little rooms will be proclaimed from the housetop. He says, one day it's going to be revealed and it's true. The world is full of religion. And there are people that you know that look good. And unless you talk to them, you may never realize until it's too late that they're trusting in their works and not Jesus Christ. And that's religion. Now, he continues with the warning and he expands it because... Notice he says, I say to you, my friends, that's verse 4. He begins to expand to the rest of the group, but he warns them about these religious leaders and not to be afraid of these religious leaders. Now, notice what he says. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. 
What was going on there? The religious leaders told these people. They said, if you follow Jesus, if you follow, if we catch you following Jesus, we will remove you from the synagogues. And see, for a normal Jewish person, the synagogue was the most important thing because you had the temple that you could go to, but you had to be able to go into the synagogue with the rest of the people and meet and the Bible be taught and all that kind of stuff. And so if you got kicked out of the synagogues, it was over for you. So these religious leaders said to them, if you go with Jesus, you're out of the synagogues. They even threatened that they would kill, and they had killed some people. So the people were afraid. Jesus says, you don't need to be afraid of these people. Notice what he says in verse 5. Verse 4, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more they can do. He says, don't be afraid of people. Why? What's the worst they can do? They can kill you physically. He says, but that's the worst they can do. And you know, the truth is this. When we know Jesus Christ is Savior and somebody kills us or we die physically, where do we go? To be absent from the body is to be where? Present with the Lord. So the worst they can do is put us in the presence of our Savior. He says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. He said, don't be afraid of people who can do that kind of thing. He said, but if you want to be afraid, listen to this, verse 5. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. He says, you don't fear people, you fear God. And when he says fear, don't think like, I'm afraid God's going to squash me. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about how the awe and the respect of the fact that you will one day stand before God. Every human being is accountable to God. God is the one that has the power and authority to send people into a relationship with Him forever or to send people away from Him forever. Notice what he says. He has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear Him. He says, if you're going to fear anything, don't fear people, because the worst that a person could do is do something to you physically. But you've got to look at God, because He has not only power over the physical, but He has the power over the eternal as well. He is the authority. All human beings are accountable to God. Man can kill, but only God has authority over heaven and hell. Notice this. He says, after he has, uh, after he has killed, his authority to cast into hell. Now, a lot of times we get confused because you have to know, and to, to make sense, you, all, you have to know what Greek word is translated hell. Because there's three or four different Greek words that are translated hell. The most famous one is a word that is translated, that is really the word for Hades. And that, does, that just means the place of the dead. This Greek word is different. It is the word Gehenna. Gehenna means the place of the fire. It was the word that they thought would be hell. It would be an eternal separation. Outside Jerusalem, Jerusalem's built on a hill, Mount Moriah. You go down the hill, you go across a valley, you go up another hill called the Mount of Olives. In this valley, on the southern part of the valley, was a place called Gehenna. It meant the place of the garbage dump because they took all their garbage and threw out there and it burned all the time. It was a smoldering, burning garbage dump. And that was, in their minds, they'd say, that's, that's hell. That's the lake of fire. If you, you, you're going to go to the place that burns forever. Jesus used that word there. He said, if you're going to fear, fear the one that has the authority to cast you into Gehenna. The eternal separation. Earlier in the history of Israel, there was a God 
called Molech, not the true God, of course, but a false god. And he had a statue, and he had his arms out like this. And there was a statue of Molech in the, in the valley of Hinnon, where Gehenna is. And sometimes Jewish people would take their babies, lay them across there, and burn them up as sacrifices to this false god. That's why it was the place of the fire. And so it was in their minds the place of hell. Jesus said, if you're going to fear anything, don't fear a pe- people because all they can do is kill you. They can just deal with you physically. You fear the living God because he has the power not only physically, but he has the power to save people forever and to cast people into Gehenna, eternal separation from God. You realize every human being is going to stand before Jesus Christ. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. So that's a powerful statement. So he warns them and he says, Listen, if you're going to be afraid, don't be afraid of people. Be, have your awe and respect for the living God who has all authority. And from this, he reminds them of something. He says, Listen, I want you to know, God knows about everything. You don't have to be afraid of these people. God's in control and God knows everything about you. Look at the next two verses. He says, Are not five sparrows sold for two cents, yet not one of them is forgotten before God? Now, a sparrow was the little bitty bird, little bitty birds, and they were worth practically nothing. People would say they're so unimportant. But he says, Are not these little sparrows sold for two cents, yet God knows every sparrow? His eye is on the sparrow is a famous song. He knows everything, even the most unimportant little animals in the whole world. He knows everything about them. And then look what he goes on to say. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Now, some of us try to make it as easy as possible for him to count those hairs. Some don't. But anyway, indeed, indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear. Why? Because you're more valuable than the sparrows. Listen, he says he knows every little thing about you, even the number of hairs you have. And let me tell you, you're more valuable than any sparrow. And if you're worried about what's going to happen to you, you just trust God because if his eyes on the little bitty sparrows and he knows everything about them, you are so much more valuable than that. He knows everything about you. So just trust him. And that's what he's telling these people to trust God because these religious leaders, the worst they could do was hurt them physically. That's the worst. Now, from there, I want you to see the final things, three things. We're going to go a little bit detail on one, but I want you to see this. In the last part, he deals with three things. He talks about confess Christ before men. Then he talks about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And then he talks about the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning, I want you to look. Verse 8 is this, eight and 9 is this confession part. Verse 10 is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Verses 11 and 12 is about the power of the Spirit. I just want to really concentrate on verses 8 and 9 for a few minutes because that's often confused by a lot of people. And then we'll just touch on verse 10 and then a lot more details next week. Notice what he says in verse 8. And I say to you, Everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. And he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Before we actually get into that, you've got to understand, what does it mean? He didn't say, everyone who confesses me. He said, everyone who confesses me before men. That is a key. First of all, I want you to understand, to confess Christ before men, to confess Christ before men is not... Not 
carefully, listen carefully, it is not dealing with salvation. You are not saved because you confess Christ before people. You are saved because you believe that Jesus Christ will give you eternal life. Your salvation is by grace, through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not anything you do lest you could boast. To confess Christ before men does not deal with salvation. Notice it, go to the next, to confess Christ before men is to stand for Christ. It's discipleship. It's living for Him. He's not saying if you want to be saved, you've got to stand up and tell people publicly. He is not saying that. Salvation is by faith. He's saying that when you confess me before men, you stand and you publicly live for me and make a difference for me, what's going to happen? He said, if you confess me before men, the Son of Man, that's Him, will confess Him also before the angels of God. He says, I'm going to reward you when you stand for me. See, there are people who teach that in order to be saved, you need to come down an aisle. You need to make some kind of public profession. I want you to understand that's not biblical in any way, shape, or form. Salvation is not on what you do. Salvation is what you receive. Jesus Christ has died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again, and offers to you the gift of eternal life simply by faith. Confession before men is when you choose as a believer that you're going to make it known that you stand for Christ. And he says, when you do that, I'll confess you, which means I'll reward you. Because you know that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12, three different places of the Scripture, it says, we will stand before Jesus Christ to be rewarded for how we have lived. And that has to do with whether you stand for Him and live for Him. And if He does, He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. If you don't, look what He goes on in the next verse and says, but he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about rewards. If you do not live for Christ, He will not reward you. He will not be able to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. So the charge here is to stand for Christ, to confess Him before men. Notice that's what he says. He didn't say whoever confesses me. He says whoever confesses me before men. It's a public deal. It's not for salvation. It's discipleship. If you do, he'll reward you. If you don't, you won't have those rewards. It's often misunderstood, but be sure and understand how this fits together because you know that salvation is simply by faith in Jesus Christ. You know that from the Scripture, 154 places in the New Testament alone, it says salvation is by faith. 98 times in the Gospel of John, it says salvation is by faith and not works. Just understand that. To have to get up and to make a public profession, to say I'm going to live for Christ or I'm going to stand for Christ, is not a gift. It's you doing something. Salvation is a gift. Well, I want to give you one more verse, and I know time is just about up, but I want you to see this, and we're just going to touch on it, and we'll get a lot more details next week, because verse 10 is a hard one. Look what he says. And whoever and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. Well, what in the world is this? What is this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? And what is this no forgiveness? In fact, we're going to see next week when you take Mark chapter 3 and the Gospel of Matthew and this and you put them together, you find out that all tied together is something called the unpardonable sin and blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well, let me tell you what very quickly what it is and then we'll get the details next week. 
Jesus Christ earlier in this, in this passage, over in chapter 11, had cast a demon out of a person. And when he did, the person then could speak and everything was fine. The religious leaders didn't want to admit that Jesus is God. So they said, Jesus cast out that demon by the devil. He's controlled by the devil. They were saying that Jesus was from the devil. Now, Jesus did his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. So to say that Jesus' power is the devil is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is attributing the works of Jesus Christ to the devil and saying that the Holy Spirit is actually the devil. And when you do that, when you reject Jesus and say he's from the devil, there is no forgiveness because salvation and forgiveness of sin comes by faith in Christ. That's all he means. Some people say, well, I hope I don't do the unpardonable sin or I hope I don't do this. Well, the closest it could ever be today is if you said, I believe when Jesus was on the earth 2,000 years ago that he was really from the devil and that his power was from the devil. If you believe that, you're not trusting in Christ as your Savior. That's the closest you could ever get to what he's talking about here. So he says to them, Everyone who speaks the word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. We'll see details on that next week. If you want to, do some study. Look it up. Go back to Mark chapter 3. Go to Gospel of Matthew. Look at the parallel passages. See how it fits together. What have we seen this morning? We've seen hypocrisy of the religious leaders. Religion is on the outside. Christianity is on the inside. We've seen fear God, not men. Because the worst that men could do is kill you. And that puts you in the presence of God. But God controls it all. Both physical and eternal. He said, stand for Jesus Christ in the world, which is to confess Him before men. The result will be rewards. And then we just touched briefly on blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some applications. Here's the first one. First one is, let's understand the difference between religion and true Christianity. Let's understand it, because religion deals with the outside. That's works and rules and everything else. Christianity deals with the inside. It's faith in Jesus Christ. The religious people were hypocrites, because on the outside they tried to look good, but on the inside they were dead. They were fooling themselves and fooling other people. Faith in Jesus Christ gives us eternal life. And so my question is... Are you religious or do you have a relationship? If you were to say to me, Jebby, I don't know for sure if I'm going to heaven. I, don't, I can tell you and guarantee you from God's word that right where you're sitting right now, if you will trust Christ as your Savior, if you'll say, I believe Jesus Christ is the one that gives me eternal life, that he died on the cross, he paid for sin and rose again, and he's offering to me the gift of eternal life. If you believe in him for eternal life, you're saved that moment and saved forever. That's the guarantee and the authority of the Scripture. So if any of you in this room are saying, you know, I don't know for sure if I'm going to heaven, right where you're sitting right now, you can say to God, I believe Jesus died for me and paid for sin, and I'm trusting Him and Him alone to give me eternal life. You're saved forever. It's that simple. Don't let anybody add to it. People do it all the time. It confuses people. People think it's works. People think something they're going to do or got to keep doing. It is simply the grace of God, and we're saved forever. Don't mix it up. Make it clear. 
So understand the difference between religion and Christianity. The second is stand for Christ in a fallen world. I mean, just face it. We've got to stand for Him. A, confess Christ before men. That's living for Him. That's saying, I'm going to stand for Christ. People are going to know that I believe in Him, that I've trusted in Him, and I'm going to live for Him. He will reward you. B, do not deny Christ. Denying Christ means you're not going to live for Him, and you don't, and He will not reward you. And third, fear God, not men. Men can't hurt you. The worst they can do is kill you, and that puts you in the presence of your Savior. You stand for Jesus Christ. He's the one that has all authority over heaven and hell and everything. And um, don't be afraid of people. Live for your Savior. May we understand the difference between religion and Christianity and stand for Christ in this fallen world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great morning. Thank you for these great truths. And Lord, as we look at them, we, we want to understand the difference between religion and Christianity and understand religion deals with the outside and its laws and works and all those kind of things. And Christianity deals with the inside by faith in Jesus Christ. You change us. You make us a new creation in Christ. And we have eternal life. Lord, we want to live for Christ. We want to confess Christ before men. We want to stand for Him. We want to make it known that we belong to Jesus and we're growing in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. And, and you will say one day, well done, and you will reward us. Lord, we do not want to deny Christ and not live for Him because we won't have rewards. But Lord, most of all, we want to to live for You and not be afraid of people because You control all things and we trust You because You know everything about us and You're in control. May we rest in You and live for You. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.